Five One Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And my awesome co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the Nonprofit Ninja, is here. That's right, specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources so they can achieve organizational greatness. Hey, Marjorie. Hey, Natalie. What's up? Well, I am excited about our guest today. You are. Well, I am. Before we introduce them, let's drop some stats. What? Okay, I know. We got to do numbers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> numbers. Hit me with them. Okay. 60 to 80% of all difficulties in, in organizations stem from strained relationships between employees, not deficits in individual employees' skills or motivation. I would believe that. Yeah. And then on top of it, the typical manager spends 25 to 40% of his or her time dealing with workplace conflicts. That's like one to two days every week. So they should really just be wearing referee uniforms when they go to work. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So let's just say that conflict, or as the reality stars like to call it, drama, drama <laughs> is a huge drain on our organizational effectiveness. But it's not all doom and gloom. No, it's not. So today's guest, Robo Trembriak, is the director of uh, healthcare and learning and development at Cy Wakeman, where he spreads the gospel of reality-based leadership. Welcome, Rob. Yeah, welcome, Rob. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, thanks very much for having me. Um, just very briefly, my education is in communications and human resources and organizational development. And I had a corporate career in HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And after eight years in a very technical field, I moved to the human side of organizations and then on to work for nonprofits where I directed human resources in nonprofits and even served as CEO of a group of Catholic charities in Southern Illinois and a group of Lutheran charities in St. Louis. And I've spent the last several years in healthcare, human resources, and organizational development. And now I work with many different companies, training them in reality-based leadership. And I know you work with Cy Wakeman, and I have Googled her online, and her videos are phenomenal. She seems like a fun person to work with. How how did you get in touch with Cy? What drew you to work with her? Well, she is a, a wonderful person, and she's a, a therapist by profession, and she had uh, worked in practice and in healthcare, and as she um, attained leadership roles, in healthcare, she realized at some point that the difficulties people were having at work were very similar to the difficulties they would have when they come would come see her for counseling. People wanted to be validated, and they wanted to be happier, and they wanted to f feel um, appreciated. And so she started to put together uh, these notions of reality-based leadership. Uh, when we don't argue with reality, uh, we can be accountable and, and happy. And the way that I heard about her was uh, my last organization uh, where I knew Natalie. <laughs> and um, I was very new to the organization and I went to a meeting and our director of organizational development for the health system was talking about this great new uh, approach to leadership that anyone could learn and could help us be accountable and and have better patient outcomes and employee engagement and all these things. And to be honest, it all just sounded too good to be true, and I was very skeptical <laughs> about this. <laughs> but I did um, get the book, and I absolutely uh, devoured it. 
and I became part of the team that brought Sai herself to our organization and to implement reality-based leadership throughout the uh, the health system because it is so consistent with mission-based organizations that need to be good stewards of the resources that we have, the limited resources. Now, before Natalie told me about it, I had never heard about reality-based leadership. What What is it? Well, reality-based leadership asks if you could diffuse workplace drama and be less frustrated at work, get more done, and be happier at work in life, would you do that? <laughs> Most uh, yeah. people say, yeah, of course I would do that. Sign here. And the great Where do news I is sign? You, re- right. you really can. Yeah, you really can, and anybody can learn um, these skills. And with her groundbreaking work, Sai shows us how uh, how you can own your career and improve your level of satisfaction, not just at work, uh, but at home. And I'm I'm living um, proof of that. And the reason that I think that the message is so important and meaningful is that, especially in nonprofits, because we are caring nurturers, we think that the answer to every problem is to do more and work harder and complain less and work longer. And then what happens is we completely lose touch with why our work is important and meaningful. And we burn out and we become shells of our former selves. And we start acting all cynical and feeling unappreciated. And reality-based leadership change our mindsets from that helpless victim mindset to being uh, accountable, meaning I just need to focus on actions that will add value for our clients. And I determine my own path and I don't wallow in my opinions and my complaints and my excuses about how in a perfect world we'd have enough resources and appreciation and and grateful clients who wouldn't relapse. Uh, Because if it were a perfect world, we wouldn't be needed. And I think what you described with regards to the the effect, the impact that drama has on a nonprofit pretty much sums up everything I've read in any um, online chat room for nonprofit management. People talk about it all the time and how they want to feel validated and they feel like they can't get enough done. There's not enough days to get the work done. So they feel like they're working and sometimes are working six, seven days a week uh, with hours that are off the charts. But I know I'll just work harder and I'll just put in a few more hours and I'll, and I'll get some organization to my life. And they realize that there's, there's more out there. There's more answers. And part of that is really what you talk about is looking at the drama that's currently happening and, and how do you go from the drama to just getting the facts? Right. And we call that emotional waste and we talk about how to get rid of it. And the way to kind of under, um, understand that is what we call BMW driving, where we spend all of our time blaming, moaning, and whining BMW, just driving our BMW around. And uh, here's a quick quiz for you ladies. How much time in any given day do you think the typical employee spends in drama, just driving their BMW around complaining about how the place would fall apart without me, the, the boss is wrong, and life is so unfair? How much time a day do you think we all waste on that? I'm looking at career totals. I'm going to say a solid 40%. Yeah, I'm thinking it, you know, there's so many different nonprofits and scopes of people who've been in a long time and who are perhaps new to it. So you've got those factors. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say maybe as much as 50% because I'm thinking mm-hmm. the turnover in nonprofit management 
is every three year cycle. So mm-hmm. they, they're yeah. living the honeymoon at the beginning and then the drama maybe hits a little harder. Mm-hmm. Rob, sure. how close are we? Right. Uh, you're, you're not far off. And of course it varies by, um, industry. Um, Cy is amazing at research. So the organization partnered with the futures company and, and they found that across all industries, the average employee every given day throws away two hours and 20 minutes just complaining and being miserable and wow. choosing to, to suffer. So, you know, that's about a quarter of your day that you're just tossing out the window. And more important than that for nonprofits is that's time that we're not helping people in need and time that we're not raising money for the organization, actually wasting it. You know, not being present for the people that we profess to care so much uh, about because we're not caring for ourselves. And if you multiply that cost across all the people who work for you and volunteer for you, the number, numbers are you know staggering. So I work with organizations to teach their leaders how to diffuse that drama and eliminate that wastefulness. And, and when you think about nonprofits and you think of financial management, if you would ask any executive leader, hey, if I could give you 25% more revenue or 25 cent, you know, 25% less expense, would you, how would that impact your mission? Think of the, the excitement that you'd get from that executive leader and all the things that they would like to be able to do to make their mission stronger and, and further and help more people and, and do more with those resources. And yet it's right here in front of us and people aren't, aren't accessing it. Right. And all we have to do is learn a few simple coaching techniques and helpful questions to diffuse that drama and lead people out of that emotional reaction that, you know, it's not a good or bad thing. It's just who we are as imperfect humans, but get past that emotional reaction to, okay, so what do we know for sure? And what's the next thing that we can do to help the situation? That's where we direct the energy. So really the role of a leader in the 21st century is to direct that energy, help people have the mindset of helpfulness, not judging. So I know that a lot of times, you know, I'll have employees join the organization. They love the mission, but they have their personal mission, too, whether that's, you know, that's the cause, a cause uh, to get a specific position, praise, money, probably not in this sector as much, but <laughs> maybe fame, you know, kind of getting that, you know, those accolades. How can, as a manager, how can I instill accountability for the organization's mission into each employee? Ooh, good question. It, it is a key question, and I saw that a lot when I was directing charitable uh, agencies as well. One of the reality-based competencies that we teach people is organizational alignment, where the organization and the leaders need to be clear upfront and often and not judgmental about the mission of the organization. So leader has multiple roles, specifically leading and managing. The managing part, that requires little work once the upfront work is done on setting the policies and, and so on. But leadership, that's about loyalty, building loyalty to the mission. And sometimes we refer to that as servant leadership. So as a leader, I lose my right to my personal opinion at work. Only my professional expertise where it adds value for the client is asked of me, and that's what I have to give to the organization. So I role model that, and I call others to greatness by asking it of them as well. And so we teach leaders what accountability is, how to recognize it, define it, reward it, 
um, engage an employee's level of commitment to the organization, their resilience in uh, serving the client population, taking ownership for what we're trying to build here as an agency, and uh, continuous learning on behalf of the of the mission. So it does require not uh, the management part. You know, we put good physical processes in place for that, checklists and forms and all those sorts of things, but we also need equally good leadership and, and mental processes as well. And that's how we get that organizational uh, alignment with people when we're clear about it and um, and reinforce it. Because you're citing those scary statistics about, you know, the amount of conflict in, in the workplace and those sorts of things. And that all comes from a lack of role clarity. You know, am I, am I bought in to the mission of the organization? Rob, can we talk more about that you mentioned calling someone to greatness? Because I love that phrase. I know that I have, uh, since I've learned that phrase from the book, I've used it so many countless times. It is not as easy as perhaps it sounds. You kind of have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and really own it, but the results could be fantastic. Can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and perhaps provide an example of, of how we can use that, not just as executive leaders with our staff, but staff to staff. Yes, absolutely. It's it's one of the most important and moving parts of uh, of what we're talking about. You know, conflict makes people uncomfortable, and and, and that's fine. You know, but what we say is, you know, when you're in a relationship with people, and they understand that you truly care about their well being, we don't have to have a confrontation. You can just have a, a conversation. And I've been blessed multiple times in my life to have leaders that called me to greatness, that dealt with the uncomfort of, I'm going to have to share something that, that might be hard for you to hear for the greater good. You know, whether it was something very simple when I was, when I was a teenager and, you know, I had a, a, a boss who said, you know, if, you, if you'd like to continue working here, these are the sorts of things you're going to have to quit doing or start doing, you know, <laughs> some simple things like that. But, uh, Really impactful examples as well. When I was with my previous organization and, and we're rolling all of this out, we're trying to form our leaders to uh, to really be uh, caring, compassionate, and also accountable. We had someone uh, call and ask ask for help of one of our senior leaders, and and that person told the person, "Call Rob; he can handle it." And and that person called me, and I was like. Really? She said that? She said, I could handle this? You know, like, <laughs> this person had more faith in me than I had in myself. And that's an example of the call to greatness. That, you know, we don't have to be perfect, but we can be great. And as a leader, when we see greatness in people, what is for the organization's long-term benefit is also what's for the employee's long-term benefit. You know, Natalie, I see greatness in you. I know you could do a great job with this, and I'll be here to support you if you need the help, but I want you to go and tackle this. And you're just like, wow. People shy away from that because it can be uncomfortable, but that's really how you build up people and how you build up an organization is by challenging people. I think one of the most challenging times for an organization is um, when an organization is going through change. Maybe the future is incredibly foggy. Um, and I think it's really difficult in those times for a manager to say, you know, Susie's going to do this and Harry's going to do X, Y, Z. Um, 
you know, and a lot of it is we're feeling it out as we go along. What's a good strategy uh, to use in those situations to set good expectations for employees? Well, we need to stop saying and believing that change is hard. Amen. Change is only hard when we're not ready for it. That's it's only right. hard when we're not ready for it. You know, um, I learned from the Hospital Sisters of St. Francis, the current need is the will of God. If you want to discern what God wants you to do, just look around and see what the need is. It's literally right in front of your face. And a really excellent leader also has the capacity to capitalize on change, to be so in tune with the client population and, and where things are going that that person foresees change coming and gets the rest of the team on board and ready for it. So we in our organization, we don't even use the word change anymore. We just talk about what's next. This is what's next. This is what's going to be asked of us next. This is the new level of standard the government's going to ask of us. This is what's next. And that helps alleviate that anxiety when people talk about, you know, uh, but Rob, we just, we have change fatigue. We've had too much change and we're just fatigued by it. And, um, that could be, but more than likely what it is is not change fatigue, but resistance fatigue because coming every day to work, knowing I'm going to have to fight against new computer software, I'm going to have to fight against new duties. I spend all my day fighting and resisting, and, and yes, that's absolutely exhausting. Rather than opening up, offering it up, saying this is where I'm going to need help, and embracing it, that's life-giving, and that's where we grow, as opposed to where we just hunker down and resist. And so people just need to be open to what's next and know that if I'm bought into the mission of the organization and this is what's going to help the client, well, absolutely, that's what I'm going to do. Rob, don't you think it's as, when we, don't you think as well as nonprofits, we tend to probably be more guilty of this than, than other organizations. I'm going to call us out on this, but we tend to make up the story as how we think it went as opposed to the, the facts and, and where I see this happening in a good way is, well, the donor didn't say no. So that means they could have said yes, which means they're probably going to be a sponsor. We can pretty much guarantee we'll have a $5,000 check. Uh, so we, we like to, we like to fill in that positivity, right? But when it comes to the workplace and the work environment, that can go really negative so quickly if we don't just rely on the facts because then it comes to, well, I passed Marjorie in the hall. And I said, good morning. And she didn't say anything to me. I'm sure that she's still angry because last night I told her that I thought her shoes were the wrong color. <laughs> and so I'm not going to talk to her all day because if she's going to be like that to me, that's the way I'm going to be like to her. And Marjorie was actually just thinking about a grant that she had to write. Right. And I learned that lesson um, when I worked for an organization. I worked for uh, a brilliant supervisor, but his mind was always working on something. He was always thinking. And so he'd walk down the hallway and he would actually be quite oblivious, not only to whom he passed, but to the expression that was on his face as he's just thinking and, you know, walking down the hallway. And there was a, a woman who worked, um, in my, my last place of employment that for two years never said hi to me in the hallway. And it, it became like a game with me. I'm like, someday she's going <laughs> to say hi to me. So I'm going to keep saying hi her, you know, and I was getting like into reality-based leadership. <laughs> it was. Um, I was getting into reality-based leadership, and so I, I learned, you know, first of all, 
it's dangerous to believe everything we think. So if I think you're rude because you didn't respond to me, well, I'm going to treat you differently than I would if I thought something else about you. So it's dangerous to believe everything that we think because most of the stuff we think is completely nonsensical if we're being honest with ourselves. And the other thing is that if you have to assign some sort of motive, then assign a positive one. So when I would see this woman, I would say to myself, boy, they really must have a lot of sick patients today because she was completely unaware I even said hi to her. Or she really must be concerned uh, about that patient that I saw um, because she didn't even acknowledge it. And, and it became a game. And what I found out two and a half years down the road, she was simply a shy person. That's all. There's no story there whatsoever. She was just shy. No story, no reason to be upset, no reason um, to have any sort of negative opinion of her. And so I was able to preserve and actually grow that relationship with that person because I refused to judge and force myself to have a positive um, intent. And so going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show about filling in those blanks with, with what you think happened, how much energy do you think you spent? fascinating about, oh, the game is on today. Like, I'm getting my cup of coffee. I'm walking down the hallway. I know she's coming this time, and I'm going to totally, like, do something crazy so that she says, I mean, think of the energy that you spent on that when that could have been fostering other relationships, knowing now this person's a shy person. She doesn't like to talk in the hallway. Right. And, you know, one of the best things that happened to me one time was somebody sent me a, a, a potted flower at the office as a thank you for doing some something nice for someone. And the best thing was it was anonymous. So I walked around for days thinking <laughs> anybody in this entire building might have been the one to give me a flower. And how great that made me feel and how that how great that made me respond to people thinking he might be the one, she might be the one, you know? And just be filled with gratitude to everybody because they might have been the one to do something nice for me. I love that. So to wrap up, I think we always kind of do a question for all of us. Uh, Natalie, what's something that you've done to ditch the drama in your workplace? So in in full disclosure to our audience, uh, I have drank the Kool-Aid of Cy Wakeman uh, in a good way. Uh, not only have I bought her book, uh, I've attended workshops with, uh, with her. Uh, I know uh, Rob and his work. Uh, I've been on their website. I've used tools with my staff. So I, I'm I'm work I'm a work in progress as we all are, and so I've been working on that. But something lately that I've done, and I wanted to share today, and it's been so good for me. And I called I I called myself to greatness, if you will, and had a conversation with reminding myself that not every staff person has the same personal and professional goals for themselves that I have for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, most recently, I had a member of my team who. We had this great opportunity where we could go over and do a live media interview and it was going to be face to face, real time, no recording. And I'm thinking, oh, my marketing director, what a great <laughs> building opportunity for her. This is going to be fantastic. She's going to learn all these skills because then someday she can take over doing some of these media interviews. And I'm sure she would love to do all that because she's a marketing director. <laughs> and I had this great story in my head. And before I walked in, I stopped. And I called myself to greatness and said, that's the story I've told myself. I have not asked this woman what her goals are. And so I said to her, we've got this great opportunity. Here it is. Uh, I will, I'm happy to go over and do it. Do you have any desire to go over and observe this? Is that in your wheelhouse, your arsenal of planning on how you'd like to grow your career? Is media 
interaction part of what you would like to do? And I gave her a safe place to say no. Mm. And she did. She said, I really enjoy doing this aspect and this aspect of my job. And she pointed them out. But media interaction is it frightens me and I just would be so unhappy. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to say, go team, go, you go, I'll stay here. (laughs) And it helped me to know why would I be, because what would have ended up happening, Rob, and you probably know this as well as I do, is I would have been thinking I'm training her. She would have shied away from it. The story I would have told in my head is, well, obviously she's not grateful. I'm giving her these great opportunities and obviously she's not grateful and she's not being a a good employee. She's not being a team player. She's not jumping on the ball. The reality is I, I'm very comfortable talking on the radio. I'm comfortable with media and I can do it. It is part of my wheelhouse. So why not absorb that and let her do something that she's really good at and make her feel good about that. So giving an employee the opportunity to say no would probably be the best thing that I've done uh, to ditch the drama lately. What about you, Marjorie? Well, not really knowing any of these skills beforehand. I think, you know, I I look back at some of the things that I've had to do to ditch drama, which has been actually ditch employees. And I kind of wonder after listening to this interview, if had I been able, had I really had some of these tools, like being able to say, you know, actually call people to greatness, be able to um, ask them better questions, set better expectations. I think Uh especially the better expectations. I wonder if those employees might still be part of an organization. Um, or, you know, sometimes maybe it's just not a good fit and it's the organization isn't aligned with them. So that's, that's been what I've done. Rob, what, what about you? What's, what success stories can you share with us? Well, one thing, um, that I, I have learned is not to vent, not to vent. I understand that it's dangerous for us to believe everything that we think and our ego has the emotional maturity of a toddler (laughs) and venting is the ego's way. It's the ego's way to avoid self-awareness and creativity, helpfulness, and any sort of inkling that I might be wrong somehow. Even if I wasn't the one who instigated something, I somehow responded to it. You know, we all co-create our own realities. And so resist the urge uh, to vent and instead opt for some uh, feedback. Like I, I might ask you, Marjorie, how did you think I handled that? What could I have done differently or or better, even if I handled it, you know, seemingly well, there's always something I can learn. And then a, a period of self-reflection. And so rather than venting about what's wrong with the world and then going about my day, which doesn't address it at all, I instead ask for some feedback of what could I have done differently. And then I take some time to reflect back on it and what I might do differently next time. And that helps me be at peace because then I see the change I need to be in the world. You know, they say, be the change you want to see in the world. That helps me see the change I need to be in the world. That's my ego aside. And what a great example, because it really helps establish a safe place for sharing. Mm -hmm. And once you've established that safe place, nothing you can share with that individual will be taken out of context, will be taken in a negative light. They're knowing that you're there because you want to help them and support them. So uh, I think that's a great way to, to finish our segment with you today. I really appreciate it. Rob, we, we adore you. We we love Cy. Please give her our best. Tell our audience oh, I will. how they can learn more about Cy Wakeman, how they can find the book for reality-based leadership, where your next, uh, where we can find you next on the, on the road, if you will. Okay. I go wherever the need is. 
So we, we work with uh, organizations with budgets of all sizes to help you grow your leaders and achieve those mission outcomes and increase your level of peace. So the easiest thing is to find us at the website at realitybasedleadership.com or look for that on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, and so on. And also look up Cy Wakeman herself, C.Y. Wakeman. Her name is Cynthia. She goes by Cy. You can look her up on, you can go to CyWakeman.com. She is all over YouTube with really helpful videos. And uh, you can, if you go on the website, you can sign up for her to send quick little quick videos, uh, tips to how to be reality-based, be at peace, ditch the drama, and um, achieve uh, better results. Also, if you're in healthcare specifically, you could text the word PEACE, P-E-A-C-E, to 96000, and I'll send you all sorts of free and helpful content about healthcare and being reality-based. Uh, the books are on the website. Tools are on the website. There's a lot of free content on the website, realitybasedleadership.com, cywakeman.com. Uh, so um, check it out. We would love to help nonprofits develop your leaders to lead the next generation so that the mission keeps going in response to the current needs. Thank you so much, Rob. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is and subscribe and leave us some feedback so that everybody out there can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.